Hello and welcome to Brom Show. This is Brom. We are in the middle of the series Great Works. When we first started this series, we had about eight books, roughly eight to ten, something like that. We now realize that we have more books than we actually have time. Each of these series are supposed to be roughly ten episodes or two weeks worth. However, uh, this one we've got more than we know what to do with. So some of these we will have to kick down the road and we're going to pick up the series again later on sometime in the future. Today's series, or today's episode, however, this great work, it's written by Henry Hazlitt, in 1946. The name of the book is Economics in One Lesson. Now this book is not like Animal Farm or 1984 or Atlas Shrugged. This book is more in line with the writing style of the law. So there really is no summary or narration that we could give. The easiest way to convey the ideas or just basically to read some of the quotes. If you ever get an opportunity to read, you can also listen on YouTube. If you ever get the opportunity to read a book on economics, this is a great one to start with. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Hazlitt writes, We cannot distribute more wealth than is created. We cannot, in the long run, pay labor as a whole more than it produces. I think it's important that we remember there is a difference between money and wealth. And so let's look at that again. He says, we cannot distribute more wealth than is created. We cannot, in the long run, pay labor as a whole more than it produces. I had mentioned a few episodes ago what I had told my children when they were younger. What money is. That money is evidence of goods or services provided. Even, for instance, when you get money for Christmas. You got money either from your parents, maybe your uh, relatives. And when they gave you that money, now you think that you've got evidence of goods and services that you never provided. And you're right, you personally did not. But your aunt and uncle or parents or whoever, they gave that labor, those goods and services for that uh, money that you now have hold of. Let's look at the next. He says, all credit is debt. Proposals for increased volume of credit, therefore, are merely another name for proposals for an increased burden of debt. We need remember that he is writing as for a national concept, right? He's not writing to individuals. However, this idea does stretch to the individual as, as well. All credit is debt. Proposals for increased volume of credit, therefore, are merely another name for proposals for increased burden of debt. So if you're going to go to the bank and say, I want to increase my credit limit, and they say, that's fine, and they then give you a higher credit line, you now are uh, subject to the uh, decision to whether or not spend that credit. And at the moment you have spent that credit, you have now increased your debt. Let's look at the next. He says, the ideas which now pass for brilliant innovations and advances are in fact merely revivals of ancient errors and a further proof of the dictum that those who are ignorant of the past are condemned to repeat it. And this can be true of both inflation and deflation. So the Great Depression happened in America basically because of deflation. However, in Germany, their issue just in between the wars was actually 
inflation. So they just continued to print and print and print. They took the Keynesian scheme. Now, we didn't suffer that. We went the opposite way and had deflation. And the extremes of both of those will harm us greatly. Let's look at the inflation aspect. He writes, mere inflation, that is, the mere issuance of more money with the consequence of higher wages and prices may look like the creation of more demand. But in terms of the actual production and exchange of real things, it is not. You can actually find videos in Germany with their inflation as uh, ladies, mothers, were taking uh, wheelbarrow, wheelbarrows full of money to the store in order to purchase their groceries. That's not what we want. So let's move on to the next. The bad economist sees only what immediately strikes the eye. The good economist also looks beyond. The bad economist sees only the direct consequences of a proposed course. The good economist looks also at the longer and indirect consequences. The bad economist sees only what the effect of a given policy has been or will be on the particular group. The good economist inquires also what the effect of the policy will be on all groups. So let's see if we can use some issues that were have been in our recent past to illustrate this. Bad economists said anybody that wants a house ought to be able to have a house, and so they forced banks to give loans to people who had no ability to repay the loan. That was bad economics. And so we had the housing bubble and then the housing crisis that soon followed. And before we get on the bandwagon and start blaming one political party, the both parties in uh, the Congress and House, uh, and the White House for that matter, have all participated in this. And it wasn't only the housing crisis. We had the same thing with the banks. And we had the same thing with the auto industry. And we bailed out the automakers and to a great detriment of the American dollar. The auto industry, for instance, let me spend just a little bit of time there. The auto industry, they were told that you won't ever recover from this unless you accept the government handout, unless you accept the money. And Chevy or GM did accept it, and so did uh, a, one or two others here in the States. However, there was one that denied and refused, and that was Ford. Now, I have never been a big Ford supporter. I I owned a Ford before, and I detested it. Absolutely hated it. It was just a hunk of junk. Couldn't wait to get rid of it. But you want to know Ford's answer when the government said, you're going to take our money? Ford said, no, we're going to create a better product. And that's exactly what they did. Now, if I have the opportunity to get a Ford, guess what I'm buying? And I'm not buying it based solely on the reputation. I'm buying it based because they spent their time and their energy to create a better product. And they also saved me my tax dollars. So let's move on to the next. He says, the larger the percentage of the national income taken by taxes, the greater the deterrent to private production and employment. So let's see if we can make that simple. The more money the government takes, the less money I have to spend. It's that simple. Now, when, with, uh, when I spend my own money, I am helping facilitate other businesses, local business, but now in our economy today, it doesn't have to be local businesses. I can be uh, spurring on 
international business as well as, you know, I live in Texas, but I can be spurring business in California or New York or even uh, more importantly, South Dakota. But as they've raised taxes, it deters private production and private employment. Let's move on to the next. This is quite the thought and very scary when you consider what our Congress is doing today. He says, either immediately or ultimately, every dollar of government spending must be raised through a dollar of taxation. Just earlier this year, the President and Congress raised, no, they didn't raise, they spent over $2 trillion. Now, that $2 trillion is going to have to come from somewhere, and it will come through either taxation or inflation. So your $20 will probably buy you 20 cents worth. Let's go on. When your money is taken by a thief, you get nothing in return. When your money is taken through taxes to support needless bureaucrats, Precisely the same situation exists. Let me make sure we understand that some taxation is important because we do need an army. We do need a military. So army, when I say army, please understand, I mean the Marines, the Navy, so on and so forth. We do need the fundamentals to keep us safe. However, the 500,000 or so bureaucrats that we have in this nation the vast, vast majority of them are unneeded, and we receive nothing of value from their service, except perhaps harassment. If you don't believe me, go renew your license, or go try to get a permit to build a structure on your own property. And I've got just enough time for probably one more, and then to tie it all together. This is what he says. He says, the belief that public works necessarily create new jobs is false. If the money was raised by taxation, we saw, then for every dollar that the government spent on public works, one less dollar was spent by the taxpayers to meet their own wants. And for every public job created, one private job was destroyed. I tell you what, there's one more quote. I think we'll end with this one. He said, when Alexander the Great visited philosopher Diagnoses and asked whether he could do anything for him? Diagnosis said to have replied, Yes, stand a little less between me and the sun. It is what every citizen is entitled to ask of his government. In other words, you as a citizen are entitled to ask your government to please get out of my way. Stop hindering my success. And the crazy thing is, some of us are of the thinking that government is helping bring us the success, but not in actuality. They are hindering our productivity. You cannot tax your way into prosperity, nor can you regulate your way into prosperity. John Stossel, a great libertarian American, goes in front of the Capitol with a big bullhorn, and he yells through that bullhorn, to Congress. Leave us alone. In other words, you're blocking the sun. You're standing too close in between me and the sun. Get out of my way. If government was out of the way, what could you do? What could you accomplish if those regulations didn't stand between you and your goal? 
I'll give you one of mine, for instance. I used to, uh, our church used to use the Elks Lodge for a while, but they had a fire. And in that fire, they lost uh, about 40 or about 51% of uh, that building. And so they had to rebuild. Well, because they rebuilt and 51% of that building was new, the city came in and said, well, now this is considered a new structure. And because this is considered a new structure, there are some things you're going to have to add, which then raised the cost for the Elks, these local Elks in Seguin. It raised their price an additional 100000 or more dollars to just bring it up to the new code since the city arbitrarily has decided that because 51% of that building is new, they are a new structure. Now, the reason we were renting the Elks Lodge was we were running out of room in our own building. We brought property there in the city of Seguin. We were getting ready to build. But guess what's going through our mind? Do we really want to build here with these new regulations? It's going to cost us most likely a few hundred thousand dollars on top of the price of the structure and parking that we were already going to have to pay. So if we decide not to build, there are employees, there are local businesses that will be losing out on their funds because of government regulations. The local electrician will not have a job. The local cement will not have a job. The local plumber will not have a job. All because of a government standing too close between us and the sun. Economics in one lesson basically tells the government, stop trying to manipulate us. Stop focusing solely on one particular area of the economy that you want to do better while the rest of us suffer. Simply get out of our way and let us be productive. We can be productive on our own and we can be a whole lot more productive without your interference. So that's my take on economics in one lesson. And I am out of here.